time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. And welcome back to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Took a, just a one-day break for the uh, Labor Day holiday here in the United States, and uh, but we're back, and we're back today to talk about, are you a shack Christian? Say a shack Christian. What's a shack Christian? <laughs> what I'm referring to is this book that was published a few years back by a man named William Young called The Shack, in which he tells this, uh, this tale of a man meeting God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit out of this shack in the woods after his daughter goes missing and he is out in, in his grieving process and meets God. And the book has sold over 20 million copies. That's million copies. You say to yourself, what kind of book sells 20 million copies? Well, I'll tell you what kind of book sells 20 million copies. It's the kind of book that the world wants to hear. The world wants to hear a redefinition of God. It wants to know that there is a God that they can identify with on their terms. And basically what this book does, it, and it has infiltrated so many Christians. I know Christians who, are, who have just ooed and awed and, and drooled over this book and, and cried through this book. And yet this book basically portrays God as another God, not the God of the Bible. And what it does, now watch this, what this book does is to undermine sound doctrine and to replace it with syrupy sentimentality. Did you get that? That's what many American Christians want today. They want a sentimental God that they can ooh and ah and coo with rather than accepting the God of the Bible as the way the Bible presents him. Now, the reason why this is so important right now is because the scripture never changes. And in fact, the Bible warns about this type of false doctrine. In 1 Timothy 4, in verse 1, Paul writes, But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the, pay, the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So what does that mean? It means people who have rejected the straight, raw, black and white biblical truth of who God is and what he has said in his word. When you reject that long enough, the Bible says your conscience becomes dulled or seared or numb to the truth. And when that happens, as we see in Romans chapter 1, what that happens, you have to begin to redefine God. If, if the God of the Bible, as it is presented, as he has presented the Bible, as the truth of God is presented in the Bible, if that's not good enough for you, if you don't like it, then you just make up your own God. And that's exactly what this guy did. And what we have here are lies wrapped in feelings. And Christians all over the world swallowed those feelings because it felt good. You say, well, Jeff, what do you, what do you mean? What, what exactly is going on in this book? Well, 
There are many things we could talk about, but let me just highlight a few of the things that come out of this book. One is that he implies that the that God the Father became human and was crucified with Jesus. You know, listen, here's the deal. When you talk about the Trinity, there there is a specific Father, a specific Son, a specific Holy Spirit. There are three persons in one essence, okay? The Father did not die on the cross. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. But the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, he became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. And it's the second member of the Godhead who incarnated human flesh and died on the cross. The Father was the one who punished the Son. But the Father didn't die. Don't thank God the Father for dying for you on the cross. He sent His Son John 3.16 says, because he so loved the world, to die for us. Another lie in this book is that God is limited and that he can't practice justice as he really wants to. Listen, the Bible tells us that God is a sovereign God. And so many people, because they can't elevate their thoughts to the level of Scripture, they begin to redefine God. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the deal. God says he is infinite love, but he's also infinite justice. And there is absolutely no separating those two. There's no enmity. There's no paradox between those two things. And scripture lets us know that. We are called to believe two truths that God loves people, but he's also going to prepare a place or has prepared a place called hell and eventually the lake of fire where the, he will put them. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. They're two sides of the same coin. They're two characteristics of the same God. God is just. He is righteous. He is holy. He is also gracious and merciful and forgiving. He also implies in this book or says in this book that God forgave all of humanity whether they repent some choose a relationship with God, but, but others, he, he just forgives them. But what this man doesn't understand is that God does not and cannot for, simply forgive except there be a payment for sin. God requires that there be payment. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. He also says God will never judge people ultimately for their sins, that, that really hell is, is what they experience here, that God submits to human will and to human choices. Listen, the Bible says that God is sovereign. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatsoever he pleases. He says in the book, There's no such thing as eternal judgment or torment in hell. And yet Jesus described hell in vivid terms. And it cannot be denied. We, we see that all throughout the Gospels, Luke 12, Luke 16. He says that Jesus is walking with all people in their different journeys as they make their way to him. It doesn't matter which way you choose to get to him. That's not what the Bible says. There are, no, there are not 
two journeys to God. There's one journey to God. It's the way of the cross, and you don't make that journey to him. He makes it to you. And yet this book is full of these type of errors. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father but through me. He went out of his way to make this point in the book. He also said that Jesus is constantly being transformed along with us. You know why? Because you have to drag God down to our level in order to identify with him and understand him. That's the whole point. That's that's every religion in the world is making God in your own image and in an effort to feel God and to identify with him and make him real he had to redefine him yet the Bible says that Jesus is not being transformed he is at the right hand of God reigning and ruling in the universe Hebrews 11 Hebrews 13, James 1 says, In him there is no change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no mention of faith or reconciliation with God because everyone's eventually going to make it to heaven. But Jesus said, Only those who believe in me will have eternal life. He also says that the Bible is not true because it reduces God down to paper. I hate to tell you this, the Bible is God-breathed. Now, you say, well, okay, Jeff, so, but what's wrong? I mean, come on, you got Pilgrim's Progress, right? That's that's an allegory. What's wrong with that? Listen, there's nothing wrong with allegories. There's nothing wrong with stories of, of things that represent the true God. It's okay to have an allegory, but you have to represent truth in the allegory. You can't have a, you know, a black woman playing God or an Asian woman playing the Holy Spirit or somebody, you know, an Indian playing Jesus. Jesus was not a black woman. He was a male Jew. The Holy Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit is not incarnated. Neither is God the Father. Jesus wasn't an Indian guru. You see, you can't just make up things and then force them in the Bible so that people can picture God in their minds. So that God the Father is kind of like the... uh, what is it, the Oracle and Matrix, you know, just in the kitchen making cookies, smoking a cigarette, you know, just doling out wisdom? I mean, how incredibly heretical is this book and this man? Uh, let me ask you a question. Do you really care whether or not you get the truth about God? Or do you just care that you feel good about him? That's a really tough question, isn't it? Do you care that you get the truth about God, no matter how uncomfortable or how amazing or how incomprehensible that truth is? Do you care that you get that? Are you just concerned that you just feel good about God and yourself and your life? If that's true, then my friend, I've got a revelation for you. You're worshiping yourself. Your God is yourself. And when you worship, a false image of the true God. If you try to get to God in your thoughts and think these thoughts about God that are not true and feel certain things about God, things that are not found in the Bible, do you know what the Bible calls that practice? It calls it idolatry. 
eh, what's the wrong with, you know, making a golden calf and worshiping it? If it represents the God who brought us out of Egypt, what's the big deal, right? Pretty big deal. Enough for Moses to melt it down and make them drink it. It's idolatry and it's heresy and it needs to be soundly condemned. You need to burn down the shack if you've got a copy. Do you really want to believe in a false idea about God? Do you really want to get to heaven and meet a God you never really knew? That you had all these preconceived ideas about God, you suddenly get to heaven. He is not anything like the God you read about in the quote-unquote Christian books that were bestsellers. Or do you want to get your thoughts directly from the only book that God ever wrote? Basing your faith on a false image and thoughts about God is nothing more, nothing less than idolatry. This guy, by the way, followed up this book by writing a book called Lies We Believe About God. And the entire book is full of lies about God. It's a whole book disproving the very title of the book. You know why? Because this man doesn't know God. He doesn't know the Bible. He doesn't understand the Bible. And yet millions of people are reading his works. Say, Jeff, what's what's wrong with that if, if it helps people? Well, let me ask you a question. If you believe in a doorknob and you believe that doorknob represents Jesus and you put your faith in the doorknob and somehow that gives you emotional calm, tranquility, peace, free freedom from anxiety. If, if staring into a, you know, some sort of test pattern or some sort of circular wheel gives you a feeling of contentment, if crossing your legs and humming or saying a mantra gets you feeling good about God, what's wrong with that? Is that really how you want to practice your Christian life? If it feels good, do it. Where's that in the Bible? See, the Bible is not about following your feelings related to God. It's about following the facts and then believing, choosing to believe those facts by faith. Paul wrote to Timothy. In fact, he wrote to Timothy about combating this very kind of heresy. He says, I'm pointing out these things to the brethren, which is what this podcast is doing right now. You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on what? On the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. That's theology that you get from the Bible, by the way, sound doctrine. He says, this same doctrine you have been following. I mean, First and Second Timothy are all about combating these false teachers. In fact, over in Second Timothy, listen to what Paul says. He says in verse uh, chapter one, verse thirteen, he says, "Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which in Jesus Christ. Guard through the Holy Spirit." who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Paul had earlier called the the church the pillar in support of the truth. There's a standard. A standard doesn't change. If you retain the standard, then you guard the standard. Paul later on told Timothy, 
in chapter 3, he said, Realize in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, uh, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. He goes on to say, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, though they have denied his power. He says in chapter 3, in verse 14, You have, whoever can continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. There's so much more that, that we can say about this, but Paul is just telling Timothy, Timothy, sound doctrine matters. What is sound doctrine? It's just the truth of God. It's the truth that comes from God's Word. And you and I, as ordinary Christians, have to be sure that we are believing, receiving, and then believing the truth about God. That's why 1 John tells us in chapter 4 to test the spirits. We need to search the scriptures to see if these things are lining up with what the Bible says. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, the, the job of a pastor, it says in verse 12, is to equip the saints for the work of service and to, bu to build up the body of Christ until we attain to the, to the full unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. You say, why is that so important? Why is it so important that I not take my cue from best-selling books, but, but take it from the Bible? and from those books that preach the Bible. Because of the next verse, Paul says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. So how do we get tricked? You get tricked by someone setting a hook into your emotions. And you take the bait because you so long to follow God. You so long to be close to him. And someone takes this hook of the emotions. And if the syrupy descriptions of God. And you swallow that. And then he starts reeling you in. And then the devil just reels you in with that pack of lies about God. Paul says that's the, that's the characteristic in the nature of children who have not yet grown up in their faith, who have not either been taught by their pastors or have not been in church enough to be taught by their pastors. And you're tossed about by everyone. To do, you believe all these doctrines about God that this guy preaches in this book. It's not a harmless book. And you need to be a serious believer and not some person who's just skipping through life singing zippity doo dah, believing everything that's published by a Christian publishing company. You can't trust publishers explicitly. You can't trust authors explicitly. The only book you can really trust is the Bible. And you make sure when, you, when you're reading about God that the Bible is included and that the Bible backs up what that person is writing. That's your job as a Christian. And if you don't know whether or not the Bible says it, then go to someone that really knows the Bible. Hey, why do I tell you this? Because I want you to be mature believers. I want you to be deepened in your faith. I want you to be strong. I want you to be able to recognize truth so that the enemy can't sneak into your camp 
and steal your treasure and steal the faith that God has given to you. Hey, don't be a shack Christian. Be a Bible-believing Christian. You do that and you'll be strong. Hey, I'll be back for the next Vintage Truth Podcast in just a couple days. Talk to you then. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.